Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, give to us the gift of your peace. Let it surround us this day. Take away the troubles of our hearts. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Uh, Today is Easter Sunday. Well, not for us, but for 300 million Eastern Orthodox Christians around the world. Anybody know why Easter is different for the Orthodox than it is for us? Nobody knows. Well, uh, it's actually pretty complicated, but the, the short answer is that the Eastern churches still follow the old Julian calendar, while in the West, we Christians adopted a revised calendar, the Gregorian calendar, back in the 16th century. And so ever since that time, Easter has sometimes coincided, but more often not, for the last 400 years. Once in a while, Easter's the same day, East and West. Some years, it's only a week off. This is one of those years when it's several weeks off. And that leads us to a bit of a disconnect in the Christian world. This past week, if you were an Eastern Orthodox Christian, it's been Holy Week, a time of remembering the passion and death of our Lord. And and meanwhile, all of us who are Western Christians have been singing Alleluia for six weeks now. Holy Week is long gone, and we rejoice in the resurrection. For us, it's long after Easter. And yet... It's interesting that our gospel lessons last week, today, and next week all take us back to the upper room, to the night before Jesus was handed over to suffering and death. Any idea why that might be? Why do we suddenly slide back to the upper room for these three weeks of Easter? Anybody got an idea? What was that? I didn't hear you. Oh, okay. Anybody? Well, I I suspect that there's a purpose in it. I think it's this. Jesus said so many profound things that night that the disciples couldn't possibly have understood them, and it was only after his death and resurrection that they could think back on what had happened, what had been said and what had been done, and begin to make some sense of it. That's often the way we human beings work, isn't it? Things happen to us, things are said to us, and and we don't really get them at the time. It's only upon later reflection that the pieces start to fall into place and we begin to understand. This past week I was in Houston, Texas, teaching an early church history class, or actually a week before last, And in preparation for this, I was um, reading the catechetical lectures of Cyril, the 4th century bishop of Jerusalem. Sounds like an exciting read, right? That's a real page-turner. These are lectures that Cyril gave to new Christians who were about to be baptized at the Easter Vigil, and then they would take part in the Eucharist for the first time. Not just receive communion for the first time, but take part in any way Because in those days, if you were a catechumen, if you'd not yet been baptized, you were not even allowed to be present in the church during the Eucharist. 
And what I learned in reading these lectures is that Cyril didn't tell them anything at all about the sacraments until after they had been baptized. And then he would say, well, remember at the Easter Vigil when you did this? Remember when that happened? Well, this is what it means. It's as if they had to experience it first, to experience their baptism, to experience the Eucharist, and only after experiencing it could they begin to understand what it meant. And so on the sixth Sunday of Easter, let's, let's rewind. Let's go back to the upper room, back before the resurrection, back before the three days in the tomb, before the crucifixion, and let's see what sense we can make out of what Jesus said now that we know what we know. It was the night in which he was betrayed. Jesus ate with his disciples. He talked with them about what was to come. What do you think the mood was like in that room? Pretty somber? Yeah, I expect so. Do you think the disciples understood what was happening? No. I don't think they understood it at all, although they did understand enough that they were frightened and maybe strangely lonely. I suspect they had the feeling that Jesus, their friend, was about to leave them and they couldn't shake that feeling. And then he spoke with them in the words from the gospel this morning, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Words about peace, his peace. So what did that mean to the disciples? I doubt they had a clue. But maybe six weeks later, they could begin to see a glimmer of what he meant. And what does it mean for us? That's really the question, isn't it? You know, we really have a pretty limited understanding of what peace means. In our language, in our culture, peace is often understood as simply the absence of war, or in one's personal life, it's the absence of conflict or trouble. But the peace of God is very different. When the Bible speaks of peace, it almost always means a positive thing, not the absence of something bad, but the presence of something good. The Hebrew word for it was shalom, and it meant a very powerful, steady sense of well-being and happiness, and it was understood to be the quality of life led by those who followed God. And it was indeed a gift of God. Jesus promised his disciples that his peace would be his gift to them. My peace I give to you. And it's his gift to us as well. The peace of God is something that you and I have or can have in our lives. It's what enables us to face all the challenges that confront us each day. It is God's peace, to quote St. Paul, that protects our hearts and minds and keeps us close to Christ. Let me see if we can understand something of God's peace by looking at some situations or difficulties that we face, each of us, at different times in our lives. And let's start with loneliness. More than 65 years ago now, three American sociologists wrote a, a very important book called The Lonely Crowd. 
Their thesis was that our modern society throws millions of us together in close proximity, and yet we have never been more isolated from one another. Just look at the freeway during rush hour. Thousands of people going in the same direction on the same road, each one trapped in his own little compartment, not speaking, not smiling, not relating to another human being unless it's a disembodied voice on a cell phone. Another sociologist, Philip Kuhn, did an experiment in which he picked 600 names at random from phone directories all around the country, and he sent all 600 of them Christmas cards. These were all perfect strangers, people that he'd never met before. What do you think happened? No. He received 117 Christmas cards, most of them with letters telling him all about children and pets and events of the last year. One person wrote, It was so good to hear from you. We see so little of you anymore. Others suggested they could get together during their vacation next summer. It's a funny story, but tragic, too. Tragic that so many people are so incredibly lonely that they respond with such enthusiasm to a greeting card from a total stranger. And it's tragic because it reflects us. There's not a person among us who has not known at one time or another that gnawing feeling of loneliness. There are old friends who have moved away. There are loved ones who have died. There are neighbors that we've never even met. And of course, we're not the first people to experience loneliness. King David knew all about it. The Psalms echo with his agony. I lie awake on my bed. I am like a lonely bird on a housetop. Turn to me and be gracious, for I am lonely and afflicted. And Jesus knew about it. He died alone, wondering if even God had forsaken him. The disciples knew about loneliness. That, that night they felt the pain that comes when a close friend is leaving. And after the crucifixion, they huddled in their room, lonely, empty, aching from grief. But Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And the peace of God is, first of all, the assurance that God is with us every moment of our lives. I will not leave you desolate. Jesus spoke those words just a few verses before our text this morning. It's the promise of his peace. We will not be left alone. Because when we know his peace, we know his presence. The psalmist puts it so beautifully. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make the grave my bed, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And so it is that the peace of God, the peace that Jesus promised to give us, is the assurance that even when we feel the pains of loneliness creeping into our hearts, we are not alone. He is with us. He will remain with us. Loneliness, of course, comes from within. Sometimes the threat to our peace comes from outside. 
We live in a world of conflict, and it's often a place of fear. We read about terrorist attacks, suicide bombings, senseless gun sprees, crime, war, fire, flood, and we are frightened. So we lock our doors and we trust people a little less. We build walls. We think we can somehow defend ourselves against all those things that scare us, and so many things in life make us afraid. And again, we're not the first to experience this kind of fear. The psalmist knew it. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I thought of that verse last week in Houston as the flood waters covered the first, the lower half of my son's yard and started to approach my rental car. The floods of life are fearful things. And the disciples knew fear. Remember the story of the disciples on the evening of Easter Day, hiding in their room, doors locked, out of fear, terrified that what had happened to Jesus might now happen to them. But then they remembered that Jesus had said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Peace of God is the confidence that God is by our side, and so we need not fear. Peace of God is that gift that enables us to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Howard Thurman the great African-American preacher who founded the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples in San Francisco, once told the, the story of his experience as a young child with Halley's Comet. He was just a, a tiny boy at the time, and the coming of Halley's Comet caused great excitement and no little anxiety. This was early in the 20th century, before our mania about space, before there was much knowledge about things like comets, People were selling and buying comet pills that would protect you from disaster should the comet's tail sweep the earth. The comet was visible each night for several days, but Howard was always in bed before it appeared. But one night his mother awakened him and took him out into the backyard. And there in the sky he saw this incredible sight. He was struck with awe but he was also mindful of all that he had been hearing about the danger of this thing. He turned to his mother and he asked, Mama, what will happen to us if that thing falls out of the sky? And there was a long pause. And when she didn't answer, he looked up at her. Her face, he said, looked as he had seen it only once before when he had come into her room to find her on her knees, deep in prayer. And finally she said, Nothing will happen to us, Howard. God will take care of us. We face so many fears in life, some of them quite real, others just products of our own minds. But the peace of God peace that Jesus promised to give us 
is the strength and the power that comes from knowing that the Lord is our refuge and our shield, very present help in danger. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. And though we face fears and conflicts and loneliness and even death, we will not tremble. For the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keeps our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm.